Okay, I'm going to step down from the podium just a minute. I don't have time to do what I'm about to do, and I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, when, when I work with the church in an interim, and if you're visiting, I'm not the preacher here. I'm kind of a guy in transition with the church here until the Lord brings the preacher here. When I work with the church in transition, we have a, a fairly standard set of themes that we want to address during the interim. And it's frustrating to me because I'm a missions-oriented, evangelistic kind of guy. That's the way I'm wired. That's my passion. I coach a number of young missionaries. I go to different places in the world. And I don't get to do that much at a church. But I felt really convicted that uh, this was back in October, early November, that I needed to do a little short series here on some things. And every once in a while, the Holy Spirit does what we can't do. Uh, in a big church, and I was senior minister at a couple of really big churches, uh, you try to get everybody on the same page and, and have themes, and you live out that theme as a church. But I can't do that as an interim guy. But the Holy Spirit's done that here. And I want you to be aware of it. The next three weeks before Don and I head off on our anniversary trip, and y'all have some guest speakers, uh, we're going to talk about very practical ways of sharing our faith with other people. And, uh, and a lot of times if you announce that, people go, oh, no, an evangelism series. Well, first of all, I hope it's not perceived that way. Secondly, the Lord had already been doing some preparatory work. Bruce and those that work in the, the youth uh, ministry program have a theme going on that's similar to some of the things we're going to share. We didn't, we didn't conspire on that. That was the Holy Spirit's work. Uh, the baptism that happened on Wednesday night, uh, one of them, Charita's baptism, uh, was directly a result of, of Tony and Whitney and those of you that have, have been a part of the tutoring program. And when I get back from China, I want to do a, a little message called Who Baptized Deepak's Wife? And uh, it's a great story, but it's a story uh, similar to the baptism that happened Wednesday night. And so I'm excited about that. Some of you are headed off to a short mission trip to Honduras. Those, who's going to Honduras? Okay, you guys leave like Friday, is that right? So, Lord, we ask you to bless this trip and open doors and make these folks effective and continue that outreach work. We ask that for these folks in Jesus' name. So that's going on. And then you've got ministries to people that are part of your community. And so I just want you to know that I'm like the dumb blind pig that found a handful of acorns because the Holy Spirit led me to this series. And I hope you're blessed. And I hope you realize it's for everybody. And it's not a system and it's not a plan. And I'm not going to sell you an evangelism technique. I just, in cornbread English, want to talk to you about something that's a part of who you are because you shared the table. And you believe that simple message 
that was really helpful explained to two-year-olds to remind a 62-year-old of that powerful, simple message of the gospel. So, I've talked long enough. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor, and some of you are not in pairs. There's two or three of you together. But I want you to turn to someone next to you or near you just for about a minute and a half or two minutes and say, this is my favorite Bible character, my favorite Bible hero. Okay? Turn to somebody next to you. One, two, three, go. You're going to have to go those guys back there. All right, give you 10 seconds to finish up. Our poor, our poor guys that count, when everybody starts moving around, it just freaks them out a little bit. So just add 50 to the total and we'll be happy, right? And we'll get a preacher's count. I love for us to talk about people that are our Bible heroes. Because every once in a while, some folks come up with stuff that I never would have thought about. We spent January uh, talking about superheroes, and we compared them to some Bible characters, and we'll bring up the Bible characters version of that slide. We, we talked about Bible characters and how we can be like them and have this superhero role. But... When we talk about Bible characters, we have a tendency to do something. Uh, and the longer we're Christians, the more we tend to do it. We kind of put Bible characters on this shelf, this unattainable shelf. You know, I could never be a David. I'm not sure I would ever have done what David did. I could never do what, I might be like Jonah, the first part of the story, and run the opposite direction from where God was sending me because I wasn't sure I could do it. Or Moses who said, wait, 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 God, I'm not very good about talking. But an Esther? That's a hard row. And so we, we kind of create this myth that Bible characters are these people up here. But let me tell you the truth. There's no such thing as Bible characters. There were only characters alive when the Bible was written down. They're just common folks. They're everyday people. They struggle with the same thing we did. There were flesh and blood and skin and emotion, and they had to struggle to take care of families and do their normal jobs and to face the challenges that they faced. And that's part of the reason God has many more stories than he has rules. You realize very little of the Bible is law. 
and none of the New Testament is. Most of Scripture is story or poetry or prophecy. And there's a reason for that. Because I can tell you the words to a song, but that doesn't give you the song. You got to have the music. Anybody in here familiar with Dvorak's second movement of the New World Symphony? Few folks. Unbelievably gorgeous. I will not do it damage by humming it to you. And I can tell you, you could read the stuff about it. It doesn't do it justice. I mean, you need to crank it up to about 80 decibels because it's going to get louder at the end. That lilting part at the beginning, it is, oh man, it's just, it feeds your soul. Well, we are people that have soul. And with that soul comes a story, just like these people. And God is still writing his message to the world through us. That's what Paul told the Corinthians. You're our letter written on human hearts, telling folks who you are. And while we have a tendency to put Bible characters on a pedestal, we forget who we are. At the end of the greatest passage on grace, Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses in which we walked, we were alienated from God, we were enemies, we were without hope, without God, all that kind of stuff. But now Christ has come and he's ransomed us and by grace we've been saved through faith that this is a gift of God, not of ourselves, not of works, lest any of us will boast. And then he comes to the end of this and I have it on there. This is a mirror. I have a mirror just like this in my house, in my study. And... Uh, and so I put this scripture on here because I want you to know when you look in the mirror, this is what God wants you to know about the person you see. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned long ago for us to do. We could spend all morning just talking about that verse. I don't know what you like in terms of music or art. My wife and I love Claude Monet, the father of French Impressionism. We love the Impressionism uh, movement and the beauty and the light and the emotion that you can see in these paintings. We love them so much that when we were in Europe, my wife went and spent a day at Claude Monet's place and got to see a a lot of the places he, he did his paintings, the bridge, the water, the gardens, all of that. And it was a great experience for her. And then while we were there, we went to this place. Any of y'all been there? The Louvre? And the Louvre is unbelievable. Uh, it's a mixture of modern and ancient. And it's a place that we toured in four hours. And people laugh and say, you toured the Louvre in four hours? Well, it's either four hours or four weeks. But, I mean, this is ADD heaven. Because there is something to look at everywhere, and it is incredibly gorgeous. But do you know the number one place that people want to go in the Louvre? They want to go to this room. 
And they stand in line. And they push and they shove. And you see that little thing in the center of that picture, that little picture? That's the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa is 20 inches by 30 inches. You buy a copy of it in the gift shop and it is bigger than the one on the wall. That's the truth. And people stand in line. It's the most known painting. It is considered the most valuable painting. And when you get there, you don't even really get to see it because it's under thick glass. The glass is tempered a little bit so that the light doesn't damage the work. But several people kind of reach out and try to touch that thing. And so it's smudgy and you can't see it without a reflection. Well, I want to tell you what God wants you to know. You're his masterpiece. And he doesn't want you to be kept under glass and isolated away from people or safe from damage. God has made you special. And just like Claude Monet or Leonardo da Vinci would sign their works, God has put his signature on you. There are three things that God did to sign his masterpiece in you. Number one, he's given you certain strengths. When you came down the chute and entered life, okay, you came with a lot of who you are. You don't believe it? Just ask somebody that's raised kids from this age right back here to this age right here. There's stuff that you just come hardwired to be. God made you, Psalm 139, while you were in the womb. And God had a purpose for you, and he knew you before you were formed. Secondly, God has given you certain insights or interest. We quote the passage, uh, God works all things together for good to those who love him, for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. What does that say? He's still working on us. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a couple of months, Lord willing. But he's still working on us. And he's fashioning us and shaping us. And the good stuff he leads us into and the bad stuff that Satan throws in the way, he forms us out of those things and redeems those things in us and makes us even more useful. So while we may all have distinct fingerprints, even if there were four other people with the same fingerprints, our experiences that God has done in us make us unique. And then the third thing that God does to put his signature on us is he gives us each spiritual gifts. I tell folks it takes a, uh, a couple of four-by-twelves to make a, a Christian church. If we're going to be God's church, it takes a couple of four-by-twelves. What I mean by that? Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4, two four-by-twelves tell us that we're all gifted. When we were baptized, like the two people were baptized on Wednesday nights, we come up out of the water more than just wet. Holy Spirit is inside us. And the Holy Spirit gives us certain gifts to use. You are God's masterpiece. And he created you with a story to tell. Something unique and special with strengths interest and gifts that make you you and make your story unique you see god's been creating a story 
And it's not just his big grand story. But it's his story in you and how you fit into that story. And because of that story, Peter could write to folks that live in modern-day Turkey, except back then it was called Asia Minor. And he said, even though you live in difficult times, I want you to know something. I want you to revere Christ as Lord in your hearts. And I want you to always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Not trying to win an argument. You're not even trying to win a soul. You're trying to share Jesus with a person. A real breathing person. Now, when we look at that passage... It's interesting because the person that we know did this best was the Apostle Paul. In Acts 9, we hear about Paul's conversion. You remember that story. But it occurs again in chapter 22 when Paul tells his story to the Jews. And it occurs again in Acts 26 when he tells it to Agrippa. And he goes, whoa, you trying to make me a Christian? Paul isn't exactly answering, but he says whether short or long, except for these chains, I wish you were like me. In Cornbread, East Texas English, he's saying, you bet, buddy, I want you to be a Christian like me, whether you're king or in prison. Paul shared his story. Now, one of the things that we face as a challenge is we hear Peter's words through all the centuries, and we go, yeah, but that's great. But that's for Bible characters. Except we already said there's no such thing as Bible characters. There's only characters that were alive when the Bible was written. Now, are you a character or not? I didn't say, do you have character? But if I were to ask your mama, would she say you, had, you were a character? Yeah, she could tell me things about stuff you did before you were four that you don't want anybody else to know. You're just thankful you were four before there was Facebook. And I am so thankful when we got married, it was before people got into these lifetime show-and-tells of pictures of a child growing up, because I didn't want my shiny hiney in the screen at my wedding rehearsal. And my mom showed it to enough folks without that, me in the sink. Well, you know, when you're 21 or 22, that's not what you want to have shown in public. In fact, you were taught... You weren't supposed to show that in public. And there's your mama doing it. We're characters. And because we're characters, we have a story to tell. And so I want you to remember the words, some of the key words in 1 Peter 3.15. It's okay if you open your Bible there. I know it's been on the screen. But look at those words. Always. Now let me tell you something about the Greek word behind always. You know what that Greek word means? It means always. That's pretty often, isn't it? Always. And then there's the word prepared. You know what the Greek word for prepared is, Doc? It means prepared. It means to be ready. It means we've done something beforehand so that when the opportunity comes up, we're ready. 
Three, answer. It's not a program. It's not a system. It's not evangelism technique. You're not trying to be a used car salesman. I like used car salesmen most of the time. But we're not called to be used car salesmen. Come on, let's make a deal for Jesus. That's not what we're doing here. We're just supposed to give an answer for the reason for our hope. And we're to do it to anyone and everyone. And you know what the word everyone in Greek means? You got it. It means everyone. And we do it with gentleness and respect because they're people. This is called sharing our story. The technical word is apologia, a defense. But that's not really a good explanation of the word. And we know it's just sharing our story. This is what Jesus has done for me. And this kind of story is not a story that has to be something that only superheroes could tell. Because most folks are not going to come to Christ if they have to be a superhero. Because they live in the world where lint gets in the dryer. You know what I'm talking about? How in the world, I, I don't even know how in the world I have so many cl- clothes that are still functionable because every time they're washed, there's more lint in the dryer. There has to be 400 pounds of lint from washing my clothes over the last year. How did that happen? And my hands get dirty. And I say stupid stuff sometimes. And so if somebody tells me I have to be a superhero to be a Christian, that ain't going to work. I need to know what it means to have hope as a normal person. But a lot of folks go, well, but Phil, what do I say? There's no, not a whole lot about me that's very interesting. I'm a pretty boring person. And the reason it's boring to you is because you've lived it and you know who you are. You're over-familiar with the subject. And you know when it's a little interesting, it's usually not good. You're in trouble or you're having difficulty or there's pain or there's struggle. But I want to remind you that there's a way to do what Peter says. And so I'm going to give you three things. I'm a preacher. You've got to have three points. We learned that from the Apostle Paul. They're called triads, okay? There's a technical term for it, but you remember three things better than you remember one or two or four or five. So here's what I'm going to challenge you to do, and I'm going to ask you to do it. You don't have notes today, but you can remember these things. Pray for three to find your one. Anybody have an idea of what that means? Well, we're spending 40 days dedicated to prayer, and while you're praying... I want you to pick three people to pray for. Three people you want to share Jesus with. Or at least want them to know about Jesus. Now, I preached for a long time. And I know most folks are going, I'm not going to do that, but I'll just kind of sit here and act like I'm paying attention. But next week, when I get up to preach, I'm going to give you a phone number. And I, I don't, I use a phone that doesn't have your names and addresses connected to it. Okay, it's, 
it's, it's raw. And I'm going to ask you to text me the three names that are your three. And I'll tell you my three. My three are precious to me. And I'll tell them to you next week. But you've got to tell me yours. Okay? See, two of them every Wednesday night. One of them built my house. They're precious to me. But I want them to know Jesus. And if you'll pray, I promise you, if over three months you will pray that the Holy Spirit will give you an opportunity, and you pray every day for that opportunity, and you're prepared with something to share, you're going to be given the window to share it. It happens every time people do this. Number two, your story needs to be shared with a kiss. Not just gentleness and respect, but keep it short and simple. They're not wanting a version of War and Peace or Tolkien's trilogy, Lord of the Rings. They want something short, simple way, an elevator way, elevator little talk that just says, this is what Jesus means to me. This is how he's blessed my life. And third, it doesn't have to be dramatic. You know, this is not gossip for Hollywood superstars. It doesn't have to be dramatic. I could give you a bunch of these, but I'll, I'll give you a short version of one that I sometimes tell because I've done lots of funerals. I get to share this occasionally with people in private. As a 25-year-old young man, I stood over a hole that they tried to make look a little nicer by putting some green indoor-outdoor carpet around it. And in a few minutes, they were going to lower my dad's body in that hole. Lynn Anderson, that had done the funeral, had asked me, do you want to do anything at your father's graveside? And I said, I won't know till I'm there. I know that's unfair to you, but I won't know till I'm there. And as we went to the graveside from the funeral, I saw people going on about their normal everyday lives as if nothing had happened. And like a lot of you, you just wanted to yell out the window, don't you know my world is different? It's never going to be the same. Something's happened in my life. It's never going to be the same. And then those hippies and farmers, because that's who normally stops in big cities for funeral processions. Everybody else is too busy. So the hippies and farmers that we passed on the way to the cemetery made me think about all the people that had been kind and supported us. I grew up in a family that always served everybody else. We didn't even know how to receive uh, help and support very well. But after 10 years of illness, I knew my mom would not have made it. My two younger brothers wouldn't have made it without the people in our life that were believers. And so as I sat there looking at that hole, I had to just look inside myself and say, do I really believe I'm going to be with my daddy again? Or is it just wishful thinking? Do I really believe that Jesus was stuck in a tomb deader than a hammer? 
and rose up with life and life enough to give me some. And I believed. And I've seen Jesus work in other broken people and other broken families in grief and bring something good out of it. And he's done things nobody else could do in that mess. And so, yes, that's the reason that I have hope. My hope's not a wish. And it's, it's, it's an assured conviction that I'm on a party with Daddy Al and I'm going to share in the celebration. And that's important because one of these days, this body's going to finally wear completely out. And they're going to place me on my back and they're going to lower me in a hole like that and they're going to throw dirt in my face and everybody I love is going to go back to the church and eat chicken. And whether they're happy at that meal or they're sad at that meal is going to depend on one thing. Whether they share in my faith that my future is secure with Jesus. It's not fancy. It's not dramatic. It's just my story. I could give you 20 other examples of simpler ones. But you've got one. And I want to challenge you. Because when you look at that simple challenge of Peter, he's pretty clear. Always prepared. Hope. You know what those mean now. You know the Greek. Always prepared and hope. So this is a week to go to work on it. So how do you do that? Well, I like to give people a few little starters. And so a way that you can start your story. Believing in Jesus has blessed my life this way. Jesus blessed my life because I'm firmly uh, convinced that I'm going to be reunited with my dad. Here's a blessing God gave me right on time. Right on time. I can tell you a story about when my wife left me that little heart with punch pins. and says, just remember, no matter what's happened today, I love you. And I remember leaning back in a chair that was broken and it goes like that. And I looked up and that's the only thing I could see. Grace for just the right time. Number three, my church family is so important to me because this is what they have done to help me through a difficult time. Don't be ashamed if you've had to receive benevolence from the church or help with the payment or had somebody come sit at a hospital room for you or for someone you love. And even more, don't suffer through those things in silence because when You've been blessed in those ways. You've got a story to tell to somebody else. One thing I'm confident in because of Jesus, I'm going to have an immortal body, and it's going to be better than this one. That one's going to have some hair. (laughs) No, I don't know what my looks will be in heaven, but I know I'm going to have an immortal body, and I'm going to be recognizable to those that I love and They're going to be recognizable to me. Here's a situation God has led me through. I'd have never made it without him. I had a horrible year. It's 2007. It was a horrible year. I can't tell you what was behind it. But people from my past, I found out, 
had tried to destroy my life, and they were friends. And it just came to the surface. And I confronted one of them, dealt with another, but the others I couldn't deal with. Had to let it go. But it crushed me. And the thing that got me through was taking communion every Sunday morning and remembering that Jesus was betrayed and denied by his closest friends. And he did it because he knew I would need somebody to lean on. And a little song by Delirious, every little thing's going to be all right. Listen to that stinking little song probably ten times a day for over a year. God pulled me through and it made me more sympathetic to people who have been wounded in the places that nobody else can know about or see except those closest. God got me through. So those are starters for you. And I hope that when we come back next week, you don't come to church, but you come to share the people with whom you want to share your hope. Because what happened Wednesday nights, this past Wednesday night, it's really cool if it happens all the time. I've gotten my slides so messed up, I don't even know where they are. I wanted to leave this up. Remember, three takeaways. Pray for three to find your one. Your story, just tell it simply, but prepare it. And number three, it doesn't have to be big or dramatic. It's just the reason for your hope. Next week, we'll talk about a simple way to talk about God's big story. But God's big story doesn't matter to folks until God's story in you matters to you and they know about it. Maybe God's been working in you right now through today, and you want a reason for hope. And that's why we're all here. Because everybody here in 100 years... We ain't going to be. But we're confident we're going to be with Jesus. And we want you to be with Jesus too. This song is for you. If you need help in a struggle and need a church to help carry you through, there's going to be elders in the back. There'll be one up front. If you're ready to do what the two folks did uh, Wednesday night and say, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I want him to be Lord, and I want to share in his death, burial, and resurrection because that's what saves me. Man, we'd love to make this church service go real long and have a bunch of those and get the carpet wet because we know the angels in here would be rejoicing with us. So if you're ready to take that next step, come find your hope as we stand and sing.